beautiful music. That is what we want, isn't it? We want Jesus to be born in us. And what a privilege it is to be able to be here at the Medford Seventh Avenue Church today and to join you in worshiping. I've been in this church many times. It's just I had never actually spoken on a Sabbath morning in this church in my nine years in Oregon Conference, but it's wonderful to be able to be here and just share God's Word with you this morning and appreciate the invitation of Pastor Brian. Thank you, Pastor Brian and Rosie and your family for your great ministry here. Really appreciate that and the whole team. Uh, also, I'm really grateful for, uh, for uh, it's Joyce, right, is your assistant, for Joyce uh, looking out for me. She saved mail that has come to your church in my name. It has my name on it. So I, I don't know what that means, but this first one is from Indeed for hiring services. It's in order to hire good personnel. And, uh, and I feel like that's, that's worked out pretty good here. So uh, don't think I need that one. Um, and this one I'm really excited about. It, it's from Chase Bank. It says I get a $900 cash back. That's pretty good. I like that. I can think of a few things that could go for. But uh, anyway, so thank you for sharing the mail with me, Joyce. Really appreciate that. And uh, I'll just leave that for the recycling bin. Uh, but uh, great, to, great to be with you. Just want to invite you to bow your heads with me uh, as we worship God in word. Lord, now as we worship you in word, we have sang to you, we have acknowledged who you are through our singing, and God, now make yourself manifest as we spend some time hearing from you through your word. Lord, help me not to be in any way a hindrance to what your spirit wishes to share with each of us as we spend this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Sabbath school teacher was at the cabinet trying to open it, and it had a combination lock on it, and so she was turning it to the right, and then turning it to the left, and then turning it to the right, and then she'd pull on it, and it wouldn't open. And so she did it again, turned it to the right, turned it to the left, and pulled on it, and it wouldn't open. And she did this two or three times, and she was getting frustrated with this, and the pastor came along and saw her laboring with this crazy padlock on the cabinet and said, can I help you with that? And she said, yeah, sure. And he said, yeah, I think I, think I can figure out the combination. And so um, he, he said, let me give it a try. And so he takes the combination and, and she watches this. And he goes, hmm, to the right, to the left, to the right. And to her relief, it wouldn't open. And, and so she got feeling a little better about the fact that it wouldn't open. And so he tries it again. He said, I got this, I got this. And he goes, and it opens. And she's like, what in the world? She said, Pastor, I'm so impressed. You prayed, you looked heavenward, and God gave you the combination and it opened. He said, Oh no, he said, the combination's on the ceiling. Right there, see it? Now, I wonder if sometimes we pretend as if we are more actively praying than we really are. If we like to give the impression that we're more active in prayer than we are. But there's nothing for which we have greater need than prayer. 
Because at its core, prayer is communication between us and the all-knowing, all-powerful God. And that's an incredible thing, isn't it? I mean, think about it. The all-knowing, all-powerful God. All-knowing means there's nothing he doesn't know. All-powerful means there is absolutely nothing he doesn't have power over. And that God wants to talk with us. Wow. And, <coughs> excuse me, it can be a bit scary. Because it can be dangerous, hazardous, risky. Some prayers you might even call perilous prayer, which is the title of our message today. Prayers, perilous prayers are perilous because they dislodge us from our safety zone and they challenge us to live beyond our comfort. And in that sense, dangerous is not bad, but yet it's dangerous to our status quo. And yet it's necessary for our growth. And we see these prayers throughout Scripture, prayed by men and women who were ordinary like you and like I, are to, like I am today, until they prayed these prayers. And then they became extraordinary. Now the first perilous prayer that we'll consider comes from Moses. Um, Moses was the guy that God called to lead his people out of Israel. And so when you look at the converse, I mean to lead his, the Israelites out of Egypt from slavery, and when you look at the conversations that Moses had with God, obviously they were very impactful. They were downright scary, and they certainly classified as perilous prayers. Notice their conversation in Exodus chapter 33, 15 to 23. Exodus chapter 33, they've, they've left Egypt. They're now free from Egypt. They've come to the Mount Sinai region, and Moses goes up onto this mountain, and he goes up onto the mountain to meet with God, which is like, whoa, you know. And, and, and he gets up onto the mountain, and this is his conversation, which we, we call prayer, and he's talking to God. And, and God is wanting Moses and the people to go into the promised land. And so Moses says this to him in verse 15 of Exodus 33. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, God, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably upon me and on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on earth. So in other words, God, we need you with us because that's how people know we're different. Okay? Verse 17, the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. Hey, I got your back. I'm with you, Moses. I know you, and, and I'm with you. <coughs> and the Lord replied in verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name Yahweh before you, for I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose, but you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. Now, that was in response to Moses' request in verse 18. Moses said, show me your glorious presence. God says, okay, I'll do it, but not 
directly in my face. And so God says in verse 21, Look, stand near me on this rock, and as my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock. So you've got to get hidden back in here in this entrance to this cave, as it were. And my glorious presence will pass by. And I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Are you getting a sense of how crazy majestic God is here like I don't I think we forget that we've kind of turned God into this like this warm fuzzy friend you know and and that's all good but folks God is God okay God is God and that's what he's saying to Moses you you look me in the face there's nothing I can do to protect you I mean boom you are turning to salt Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? You are turning to, like, it's over if you see all of my glory. i got to protect you from all my glory. And so this is what I'll let you see. When I go by, I'll remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face may not be seen. Moses wants a glimpse of God. He wants to actually see the God of the universe. He wants assurance of God's presence with him, and Moses wants God to manifest his presence. The first perilous prayer is the show me prayer. The show me prayer. And it was perilous. Did Did you notice that God said to Moses, he said, hey buddy, listen, if you see my face, you're toast. Nobody sees my face and survives it. I want to protect you, so I'll let you see my back as I go past, but I'll give you a glimpse, and the glory will be greater than anything you've ever beheld, and it's just the back of my flowing robe as I go. That's it. And it'll still be more than you can handle. Moses knew that seeing God mattered, though. Seeing his beauty his majesty, his purity, his love, his faithfulness, his awesome power, his manifest presence. Moses knew that this would make all of the difference for him as he led the people of Israel and for the Israelites. If God's presence wasn't manifest, then forget it. What's the use? And this was important to Moses, even though he discovered that he couldn't fully behold all of God's glory. This was what the Apostle Paul discovered in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. He said, for now we see through a glass, what? Dimly, darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then when we get to heaven, we shall know even also as I am known. We see God, but we see him dimly today. We see only a portion of his glory because we're looking at only as much as he can let us see, like looking through dirty, fogged up windows. And to see any more of God and his glory, it it would be too much for us to bear. And I I think we, we have... A difficult time grasping that today 
Um, because we've become so casual about God. But God is not a casual being. God is this eternal, holy, glorious, majestic being that is most powerful in all the universe of everything that's ever existed. And yet he wants us to get a partial glimpse of him. And it makes the difference. There's something about beholding God in his glory. In Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 3, the prophet Isaiah said this, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. He was high and exalted. Now, Isaiah's in vision, <coughs> and God's giving him <coughs> this vision. And he says, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they were flying. So God had to create them with three sets of wings, six wings, just so they could cover their face and not look into his face <coughs> and cover their feet to show their humility. And then they were flying around him, and what were they doing constantly saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. That's quite a sight. Isaiah sees a vision of God in heaven on His throne, but did you notice that even those exalted heavenly beings continually in the presence of God were hiding their faces from His glory because they even couldn't handle looking straight in to the full glory of this God. Now, we have challenges and difficulties that we face in life. We have worries and concerns. And sometimes I wonder if the reason these become so filled with anxiousness is because we forget who God is. We forget who God is. I wonder if we need a stronger awareness of God's presence and power when we gather in worship. How might it change our experience of church or our own personal encounters with God if we truly encountered who He is? You know, the, the problem is we want to be God's and have God just be a supplement to our Godship. Do you get that? We want God to be a supplement to our Godship. I want to call my shots. I want to do my thing. I want to think I'm the smartest thing since whatever. But when I need a little extra boost, like in a video game, you can kind of hit the button and it gives you a boost. Poof, that's what God's for. But one of the saddest things I think that can happen is to miss out on who God is and to miss out on His presence, especially when it comes to gathering as a church and having a real sense of the, the, the presence of God in, a, in our lives personally or corporately when we gather. And, and often I wonder, as I go around to churches, and I go around to a lot of churches, I wonder when I drive away, did did people, did most people sense that God was literally there with us 
Did they sense His presence? Was for them some kind of manifestation that God, the eternal, almighty, all-knowing, all-loving, all-gracious God, was in our midst? Did their hearts burn because He was there? Did I leave determined to be different because I encountered a different God? I wonder that. <clears throat> and I wonder if this has something to do with why next generations leave the church and unchurched people lack interest in the church. They're just not sure they see much of God around there. I wonder. See programs, see initiatives see strategies, see talented human beings. But is that enough to be part of this thing called church? Because all of that stuff, frankly, could be chalked up to be a, another service club. But what makes church church is an encounter with the divine. And that takes intentionality on our part. I love the worship we had this morning. Thank you for leading us in worship. That was powerful stuff. And I sensed an encounter with God in that worship. And so unless we begin with the perilous journey into the majestic presence of God, our religious activity will lack significance. And frankly, here's the thing. It's on us as we plan church and we lead out in church for those who are leading, but it's on all of us when we come to decide I'm actually coming to find God and encounter God. Like nobody else can do that for me. I actually am coming with the anticipation of being in God's presence corporately and encountering Him. That's on each of us. I was at a men's conference years ago, and they were singing a very simple hymn that is one of my favorites, but it's How Great Thou Art. Now, I just want to tell you, I have experienced God's manifest presence so many times through that song in different places and different venues, sang in different ways. I just think God loves that song. I do. I think he loves it when people actually are singing from the bottom of their hearts, you are great. How great thou art. And so these men, and there were like 30,000 of us, we were singing, and we were singing our hearts out, and we were singing how great thou art. And it was just being straight up done like a hymn. It was not Nothing special being done to it. The worship team of men were leading across the stage like our men's group this morning. And they're just singing. And they didn't even notice what started to happen. They weren't producing it, but God just did something. He showed up. And as we're singing, suddenly this crazy thing happens. The entire stadium of men who are singing how great thou art just goes onto their knees and starts sobbing 
and the presence of God is so powerful, people all around just start confessing their sin to God and praising God with their lips. And I'm like, whoa. God just showed up here. Because that's what happens in Scripture whenever anybody comes in contact with the presence of God. A vision of God and heavenly things will shake you to your core. God is so transcendent, so exalted, so pure and perfect and holy and mighty and beautiful that in His presence you become aware of your own brokenness and sinfulness. And you feel like you're going to disintegrate in God's presence. Not because he's judging or mean, but because he's holy. And I'm not. And this brings us to the second perilous prayer, which we learned from King David, who if you study him in the Old Testament, you discover that he prayed some pretty radical stuff. Uh, In Psalm 139, he prayed a long prayer that could be summed up as our second perilous prayer, the search me prayer. The search me prayer. So the first was the show me prayer. Show me yourself, God. The second was, whoa, okay, you better search me. And it takes guts to pray this prayer and mean it. And I believe David did mean it. Notice what he prayed in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious and wayward thoughts. See if there are any sinful ways in me. (laughs) Yeah, like, uh, God, see if there's anything sinful in me. Uh, I don't think I even need to pray it that way. Uh, Show me what is sinful in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. When we pray the search me prayer, We're praying for God to shine the light of his brilliant holiness into the inner recesses of our soul and expose whatever's in there. And and frankly, that's terrifying. That's terrifying. Um, To expose our resistance, (coughs) our faulty thought patterns, our stubborn spirit, our negative attitudes, our sinful habits, our arrogance, we're giving God the green light to expose it all to us. To say, okay, well, take a look at this. Psalm 139, David starts off the prayer, you know everything. When I sit, when I rise, you know my thoughts, my ways, my words, you know everything about me. David was in awe of God. And in verse 7 and 8, he acknowledges, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go down to the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings or settle far on the side of the sea, you are there. In other words, you are everywhere, God. I'm I'm, I'm omnipresent everywhere. David was convinced that nothing could be hidden from God. He was compelled with the sovereignty of God. He didn't see himself as somehow a little God, but rather he saw himself as being subservient to the God. And so he humbles himself before the Lord and he gives God permission to take an inventory of his life. 
When was the last time you prayed a search me prayer? When was the last time you asked God to expose to you your inner thoughts and motives? The other night, I, for the very first time, played hide-and-go-seek with my three-year-old grandson. <clears throat> and that was so much fun. What a load of fun. But here's the thing about it. It was almost completely unlike any hide-and-go-seek I'd ever played. Like, literally. The, the, the kid, he would say, okay, Poppy, pray. I, I mean, uh, not pray, count. Uh, count, it was kind of like praying, because I'm like this, head against the wall. So he's like, count and so i'd count to five and i'd say here i come ready or not and i'd start to turn around and he'd say i'm over here (laughs) i'm like no i think you're missing the point of this let's do this again and so i'd make a big deal of him you know and 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 i'd interact with him and then i'd do it again he'd say do it again do it again so i'd do it again i mean we did this like 50 times and every time i'm over here Because the reality was, I could see him as soon as I turned around and looked in his direction, and that's God. As soon as we engage with God, he sees everything. We're not hiding from him. And so the search me prayer is saying, I know you can see everything. Go ahead and give me an inventory, God. Help me to see myself the way you see me. That's the second perilous prayer. So first, show me. Second, search me. And it brings us to the third perilous prayer, which is sanctify me. Sanctify me. It's not enough to simply see God and have him reveal our need. We also need him to bring transformation in our life. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to do what? Forgive us your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's really hard to swallow our pride and admit we're wrong and we need something. Or to admit that we were right in the wrong way. That's even harder. The Bible takes this another step and says in James 5, 516 therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed see the other one doesn't say anything about being healed when you confess to god but when you confess to each other it says a healing takes place there's something about community something about us doing this journey together about us being honest and transparent with one another that a healing starts to happen in our lives We desperately need to pray the sanctify me prayer. Only by praying this prayer are we made right with God and with one another and renewed to become all that God intends us to be. Until this prayer is prayed, friends, we are stuck. We're stuck until this prayer is prayed. The sanctify me prayer is really saying, okay, God, go ahead and help me change. Get me unstuck and help me connect with others who will help that happen. I prayed this prayer last March at a difficult time. And lots of stuff was going on. Lots of stuff was really difficult. And I had been really obese for a long time. 
and I had reached the height of that obesity and it was starting to have health implications. My doctor was saying, next year when you come, you're going to be on this med and this med and this med and this med. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm going to get this thing in order. But I knew I couldn't do it alone, and so I joined a program where people helped me, and I could be transparent and confess what I needed, and they helped me along the way, and there were resources to make this happen, and in six months, I lost 70 pounds. And I had to keep telling people what was going on because people would say to me, like somebody did today, you don't have cancer, do you? <laughs> no. No, this is on purpose. And after decades of being overweight, I allowed God to help me begin to take steps to change. And I feel the best that I've felt since I was in college. Changed my life. Except that my grandson gave me an infection I've had for two months. But <laughs> That's what the Sanctify Me prayer does in our lives. Whatever our needs are, and, and we all have things in our lives that need change to reach our highest potential in Christ. This leads to the fourth perilous prayer, which is equally challenging. <coughs> the stretch me prayer. The stretch me prayer. This prayer is for those who are tired of the status quo. Those who have just been going through the motions and they're stuck in a rut. The stretch me prayer can help you get out of that stuckness. When I've worked out th through the years, I've, I've had the best results when I included stretching before and after my workouts. And uh, why? Because the stretching prepares the muscles to strengthen and to grow. And that's the same truth in our spiritual life. If we pray the stretch me prayer, we will find ourselves navigating through a season of growth and the end result is worth it. We, we have to be willing to let God stretch our understanding and condition our hearts for greater things that he has in store for us. A good example of, of an individual who desired to be stretched was Nicodemus. Good old Nick. You find Nick in John chapter 3 in the middle of the night. He comes out to Jesus seeking Jesus and, and you see him discontented. He doesn't like the way his religious experience is going. He sees some cool stuff happening in Jesus and he says, hey, tell me about it. How can I be sure that I'll be, that I'll be saved in God's kingdom? How can I be sure? And Jesus looks at him and says, you just got to be born again. What? Born again? I, I can't go back into my mother's womb and come out and be born again. I mean, that would be a horrible experience. And Jesus laughs and chuckles, I'm sure. And then he says, yeah, no, no, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. And come on, Nick, you know better than that. And then he explains it. The thing's got to change. You've got to be stretched. Your faith has to be stretched. And... Jesus puts the invitation out there to all of us. Are you willing to be stretched? If so, where do you need to be stretched? If you're stuck, it's time to step out in faith and pray. Stretch me, God. Stretch me. When I was a kid living in our old house that was built by my great-grandfather, um, it made lots of noises. You know how old houses can can make lots of noises you know eh, 
And it's like, <gasps> as a kid, you're laying in bed and you're hearing this. And we, it made some other noises because my aunt and uncle had lived in the upstairs a few years before that and had done seances and spiritualistic stuff. And I would lay in my bedroom at night and I'd, I would hear thump, 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 up the steps, thump, 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 walking around upstairs, thump, 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 coming down the steps. And several times my dad would take the gun and he'd go to the door and he'd unlock the door that went up to the stairs and he would, he would look and there was nothing there but something would come thump, 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 right down to in front of where he was standing and he'd feel all the hair on his body go Pfft. Weird stuff was going on. But here's the thing. I was sharing a little bedroom with, I was coming on 12 years old and I was sharing a little bedroom with my two younger brothers and that was so uncool. And I was like, that has got to change. So I started praying this stretch me prayer. God, <coughs> stretch me <coughs> to have the faith to trust in you to keep me safe to move upstairs to one of those bedrooms because there were three bedrooms on the second floor that nobody used because of all the weirdness. So I started praying that prayer. And I set a date. I'm going to move up there at this time. And so that time came and I'm praying, I'm praying, God, protect me, God, be with me, God, stretch my faith, strengthen my faith, help me to believe in you more than any of this stuff that's scaring me. And, and that's a big prayer, a heady prayer for a 12-year-old. And so finally the time comes and I move upstairs. Guess what I did before I went to bed that night? Oh man, I was even on my knees beside my bed. There was no laying in bed going, Oh, God, be with me tonight. No, 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 no. I was on my knees. God, be with me tonight. Give me faith. Help me to trust you. Stretch me. Whatever it was, I was praying that that way. And so finally I go to sleep. And in the middle of the night, nothing happened. I slept all through the night. Nothing happened. No noises. No, nothing weird. Next night, same thing. Next night, same thing. Next week, same thing. Two weeks, same thing. About three or four weeks in, I'm praying every night, but now I'm starting to get a little lax, right? And in the middle of the night, I feel these claws, talons, digging into my neck. And I don't even want to open my eyes to look. I just start praying, God, dear, dear Jesus, please protect me. Please make the devil go away. Please, Lord, be with me. Please help me, God. Please take this away. And I feel this impression. This impression is, because it's digging in deeper, and I'm feeling like this, I'm going to bleed soon, and I, it's going to choke. And I'm like, I don't know. And God's impression is, grab it and pull it away from your throat. I'm like, oh, that's a dumb idea. And God's like, no, 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 grab it and pull it away from your throat. So finally, all in one motion, very quickly, I grab and I go, Argh! like that. And just like that poor little hamster in the cage, my hamster Ralph, actually a gerbil, goes flying across the room and hits the wall. Stunned, he flops to the ground, shakes his head for a moment, and then runs off. And I never saw Ralph again. 
But the point is this. Because I prayed God stretch me, build my faith, grow my faith, he took me to a new level, literally in our house, but in my own life journey in trusting him. We have to pray that prayer. Stretch me, God. And then that leads us to the final perilous prayer we'll talk about today, which is send me. Send me. And that's a really perilous prayer too. A lot of times we avoid praying that prayer because we don't want God to change our status quo, right? Like we're pretty happy with where things are at and what we're doing, or at least we're pretty happy not being out of control with where the next thing will be or what it will be if I actually pray that prayer. So yeah, I think I'll just keep control of that one, God. I'm, I'm not going to go there. And that's why it's such a dangerous prayer. And I was in high school, grade 12, and it was time to go to college, and I had felt the calling of God to go into pastoral ministry, and I was going to go to Walla Walla University. I was from up north of Bellingham, Washington, near the British Columbia border, and And here's the thing, I was accepted at Walla Walla, I was excited about going to Walla Walla, that's where my friends were going, but I was on my own, like nobody, nobody was going to pay my way completely, so, and I didn't have the ability to earn all that money, and this was before student loans are what they are today, there was, it was hard to see a pathway, and our youth group went to the Hope Camp meeting in BC, and I'm walking by the tent display for Canadian Union College, now known as Berman, and this guy comes out of the tent and he grabs me by the arm and he drags me in physically and he says, you got to hear about CUC. And I said, no, I don't. He said, you should, you should apply to CUC. I'm going to Walla Walla. And that was it. Like I had no interest whatsoever. And so they got me to fill out an application just so I could get rid of the guy. And then I left and didn't think another thing of it until four days later, my phone rings at home and I'm the one who picks it up and I'm saying, hello? And they say, hello, is this Dan Lindrud? Yes, it is. Uh, We just want to let you know that congratulations on being accepted as a student at Canadian Union College. And I said, you accept everybody who applies. Because I know Adventist colleges. And they said, (laughs) she laughed. And this was a student I I got to know later, but she, she laughed and she said, Uh, Yeah, she said, well, that's probably true. But she said, "Uh, we're just really happy you're coming. I said, I'm not coming. She said, what do you mean you're not coming? I said, no, I'm going to Walla Walla University. I just wanted to get the guy off my back, the recruiter. She said, oh, she, and then the divine thing happened. She said, I notice on here that you're taking theology. Is that right? I said, yes. She said, have you prayed about where God wants you to go? Oh, that's not playing fair. (laughs) She said, how about this? You pray for the next few days. I'll call you back on Monday, and let's see what God's telling you. Okay, I knew how how it was going to go. I knew what God was going to tell me, and I started praying. I did. I took it seriously, and I prayed. And lo and behold, wouldn't you know, as I looked through everything having to do with the school, I realized I could go to that school way up there, under a different currency, in a different country, a place I didn't know that literally is frigid, like 20 below. And, but it was 70% less than Walla Walla. 
Now, I'm not promoting that school over Walla Walla today. I actually sit on the Walla Walla board, so please, that's my disclaimer. But, but it became clear in my spirit that's what God was creating a pathway for me with. And so she called back a couple days later, and sure enough, I said, yeah, I, I think maybe I need to come there. She said, I knew it. I said, stop it gloating over me and I went there and it was a great experience and I met my wife Verlaine and have had a great life since then and God used that for different steps in my life journey that come back to that answer to prayer what is God wanting to do in your life that involves him calling you to a new thing and it doesn't always mean going somewhere else, but it means doing something else. Are you praying the prayer? I just want to say, it's a perilous prayer, but wow, it can mark out the greatest part of the journey of your life. Our world awaits a people to lead the way, not by might nor by power, but by what? His Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And it all begins with these perilous prayers. Lord, show me your glory. Lord, search me and help me to see what needs to change in my life. Lord, sanctify me and remove every hindrance to your power in my life and help me be all that you desire me to be. Lord, stretch me. I'm tired of playing it safe. I want to grow in new and amazing ways. Lord, send me. I don't want my life to stay static and safe. I want to be used by you in new ways to do new things. I guarantee you pray these perilous prayers. You'll have the most adventurous, exciting journey with God possible. And you'll see miraculous stuff happen. And it'll be real. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for the examples we see in Scripture of people that you didn't just leave them to float along the religious static journey. But God, through these prayers, these perilous prayers, these risky prayers, you did new stuff in their lives. And it's why they're in the Bible. Literally, it's the only reason we know anything about them. And God, we want you to do this stuff in our lives. We don't want to just float along safely. We want real, powerful, transformative stuff to happen in our lives and in our churches. We want people to, to look at us or look at us as a family, as a church family, and say, man, wow, the only explanation for that is God. And we want it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.